0: Hey, what's going on guys? So today I'm sitting down with uh, Miriam Marashi and we're going to be talking about body image standards for men and women. Now, this is a conversation that uh, kind of spurred off an Instagram post that I had made and it, uh, it I got a lot of really, really interesting responses. Basically, I was just kind of asking for people's perspective on it and um, the questions that I got essentially prompted me to... Uh, to to make this podcast. And so, Miriam, thank you so much for, for jumping on. Um, can you give a little bit of background in terms of who you are and, and what your uh, educational background is for those who maybe don't know?
1: Absolutely. So, my name is Miriam. I'm a first year PhD student at the University of Toronto um, in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. And I'm interested in the intersection of body image and exercise, but prior to that, I, um, I completed my master's also in kinesiology, where I focused more broadly on the relationship between mental health and exercise. So looking at measures of stress, anxiety, depression, and a general population, um, and how those relate to, to exercise behavior. Um, My background is actually not in kinesiology or exercise science. Prior to that, I I earned my bachelor's in biology and neuroscience, so more on the behavioral side of things, but have always had a personal interest in exercise and physical activity, which is what drove me to pursue it at um, the graduate level. And, um, academics aside, I also work as a fitness trainer and nutrition coach. So I train group fitness or CrossFit classes. Um, and I also do personal training and one-on-one nutrition coaching and athletically, I guess to touch on that, I did train and compete, I guess it would be considered like a semi elite level in CrossFit at like, and I didn't go to the games or anything like that, but local and some international events. And I still do compete for fun, but it's more of a hobby than anything else.
0: That's awesome. So I guess um, to, to sort of couch the conversation, I'll give you a little bit of context on the, uh, the conversation that we're going to be having today. So I made a post the other day asking people what their thoughts were uh, in terms of the effect that body image standards had on men and women, how that might differ if one gender experienced more pressure than others to, to achieve a certain body image standard. And you know whether or not there was similar, um, similar influence from like let's say media or social media, but then did it affect people differently? And there was kind of a series of questions on my story, and I had people answer and kind of give their reasons why. And uh, so that's kind of how the, the the conversation got started initially. So I guess why don't we just kind of talk a little bit about some of the temperamental differences between men and women, just so we can kind of understand a little bit of the background.
1: Sure. Um, so I think it's important to first make clear before you you know, begin talking about sex or gender differences broadly, that whenever we are talking about these differences, we're speaking on behalf of the average, right? We're speaking on behalf of the normal curve. And there are of course going to be exceptions at both ends of the distribution and everything that kind of lies in between there. Um, so I know it's a bit of a contentious topic, so I just wanted to kind of, ca- you know, throw that caveat there. But I think if you were to ask this question to, I don't know, like your grandma or someone like, hey, grandma, what's the difference between girls and boys and the way that they act or men and women and the way that they act? She'd probably say like something to the effect of um, men tend to be more aggressive. They tend to be engage in more assertive behavior. Um, they tend to be sure of themselves or carry themselves as if they're sure of themselves and display more dominant behaviors. Um, They might engage in more competition between one another, and especially like physically oriented competition where you're comparing your physical strength or your endurance or your musculature. Um, They might tend to be less emotional, right? Or rather they display less emotion. Uh, Whereas females tend to be more socially oriented. They tend to be more cooperative or like they work well in group environments. They have more of like a nurturing orientation or like are are seen as more gentle. Um, They do engage in competitive behavior with one another, but it typically is more social in nature rather than physical. So, and it's more indirect than male. So they might try and like, I don't know, like smear one another's social reputation if they are feeling competitive. Um, And when you take a look at the research, I kind of had to brush up on this because this is like really evolutionary psychology stuff. Any examination of sex differences are going to be contentious, but these points are supported pretty well. And actually recently read that the personality differences between the sexes seem to be more pronounced In more industrialized and Western societies, which is interesting given that we rank highest on like objective measures of equality between the sexes. So I thought that was interesting. Um, And I guess I wanted to touch on like at a societal level, these differences kind of come through when you think about where the sexes tend to dominate in like industries or careers respectively. So men tend to take up positions in more physical and material oriented, careers like engineering or manufacturing, um, construction, transportation. Actually, both my parents drove taxi in Toronto when I was growing up and my father still does. But My mother was one of the only taxi drivers in Toronto at the time. And um, she was actually like interviewed by the paper about it. It was like a big old or- ordeal because everybody who came into her taxi was like, oh my God, you're a woman, <laughs> right? Like it was not common. And I think that's starting to change now with Uber, but, um, at the time it was not common at all. Um, whereas women, pardon me, tend to dominate in more socially oriented industries, right? Like education or social work or healthcare. Um, and of course there's socialization that can contribute to these differences, right? Like thinking about, what toys, what books, media are little girls exposed to versus little boys and how does that affect their career choice? I was recently in a toy store for the first time in a while buying some stuff from my uh, my fiance's niece. And I forgot at like how stark the differences are between like the gender toys, like all the girls toys are just like cooking and like here's Barbie dressed up as like a I don't know, like a has like an apron on or like, <laughs> and I remember having toys like that too growing up. Not that it really made me more um, more keen on doing housework or anything like that, but that's what we did. That's the kind of the kind of behaviors that we engaged in as kids. So not to say that they don't have an effect, but there's certainly inherent factors contributing there as well. It's hard to tease apart the inherent and the environmental factors, though. I'll leave it at that. so I don't know if you wanted to add anything.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think that it's really, really interesting. And like, um, a- as you kind of mentioned earlier about like talking about averages, it's like definitely take these things with a grain of salt um, because people aren't necessarily going to perfectly fit into, into some of these categories and that's fine. But like kind of like what you mentioned about uh, temperament. And I mean, even if you look at like the big, big five personality test, right? And it's like, you know, men and women are clearly more similar than they are dissimilar. And, um, but, but I think that those, those small differences can manifest in some very, very significant ways. Right. I mean, like if you think about and I don't know exactly how true this is, but it's like, we share like 98 or 99% of the same genetic composition as like a chimpanzee or something like that. So it's like, okay, we're, we're wildly similar, but then that one or 2% makes such a huge difference. So. I think that how those things can kind of manifest especially as we age and and you know what sort of social influences we have can make a really big difference and I think the the one thing that you mentioned that was also really interesting was how like because uh, I've seen that research as well where especially in the Scandinavian countries like the more egalitarian um, a country is or the more that they do to ensure equal opportunity for, for males and females the more that you actually see those you know I guess what you would kind of assume are biological differences sort of amplify or magnify. You see more women going into those fields of like healthcare and, and the socially dominated ones, and then more men going into STEM fields and things like that, which is kind of interesting because it's really clear that there is obviously an interplay between like nature and nurture, the biological evolutionary side versus what, what the social um, kind of aspect contributes to that. But then it's really difficult, like you said, to tease out where one starts and where one ends and then what what's what outcomes are a result of what and i think there's a lot of confidence about like people people when they talk about it anyways are really confident and for me i'm like that kind of bugs me because i'm like i don't know man i don't know how you can be so confident about making these assertions when it's like well what about this what about this what about this but it's definitely a really interesting subject for sure um One thing, uh, I guess, to to kind of get into this, like, um, is one gender exposed more to messages of images and unrealistic body expectations um, than another? Yeah, that's the question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this question is kind of where we originally connected on this topic. I think that was like, almost the question that you were posing on, on your Instagram.
0: Pretty, pretty, yeah. Pretty similar. Like yeah. I said, it was a series of questions, but that was definitely one of the first ones.
1: Yeah. And I answered you kind of like, here's my short answer and here's my long answer. And my short answer is yes. Um, I think there is a difference between the genders where women do have. So, it, you know, the question is, are we exposed to more messages? That's a tricky one because I think both of us are exposed and it depends on how you're operate operationalizing like exposure. Like, you know, are we talking about, um, like messages that you receive from your family members? Are we talking about like the images that you see in media? Like how do you operationalize exposure to unrealistic body images? But I think, um, my short answer is yes, with the caveat that both men and women are inundated with unrealistic and idealized body images, messages from the media and from their peers and from family, but women, and I think this will t- kind of touch on one of your other questions. So I apologize, but I'm going to address both of them here. Like both are both genders affected equally by body image standards. So one is, are they exposed more than, than the other? Or, and the other is like, are they affected by it? Um and I think there's some evidence to suggest that messaging is more pervasive for women than men. I know this was mentioned in the seminal article on objectification theory where various visual media were analyzed and um it was found that women were more likely to be shown in objectifying images that display their body or in specific poses that present them as like sexually appealing. So that that is a possibility but i think it's also important to discern between two constructs when we're discussing this topic right so one is like social cultural influences or standards which is like what are the what are the messages that you're receiving from the media from your peers from your family about your appearance and body related ideals and what sort of pressure might be might you be perceiving from them and then there's internalization of those 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 pressures or those social cultural influences right And this occurs when not only you perceive these appearance pressures, but you endorse them, right? So like, there's a difference between perceiving and being aware that there are image standards and then adopting them as your personal standard. So in other words, you know, someone can be very aware that, I don't know if you're a man, (laughs) I don't know, what's a a popular man body, like the rock, like... (laughs) I don't even know you could be (laughs) maybe you can answer that question and it will depend on subcultures too, right? Like you're a power lifter. Like a
0: superhero type body.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like a superhero action figure type body. There you go. Like the muscular ideal, right? Um, You might be aware of that standard, but not internalize it as a personal standard for yourself. And likewise for women, like you might be aware of that. Like, I don't know, Kim Kardashian or Kendall Jenner, someone is like the ideal Megan Fox is like the ideal body for a woman in your culture, but not necessarily like internalize that for yourself. So, um, and this it's funny because it tends to be more common for men that they're not internalizing them. And I have so many anecdotes I can share here, (laughs) but I'm going to, I'm going to touch on some research as well. But for one, my parents, my dad thinks he's like the greatest thing since sliced bread in terms of himself globally, but also his looks like he'll look in the mirror and he'll tell my, my, my mom, like you got the good one. He's from, he's from the Middle East. And it's just funny, but that's not necessarily true for my mother. Right. So that's kind of how I was exposed to the differences growing up. And, um, but yeah, so internalization seems to be a key factor that determines whether someone experiences body image disturbance as a result of these pressures right? So not only being aware of them, but internalizing them. And I think you pulled something like asking whether you think, you know, body image standards are more pervasive for women. And there was a big bias towards women. If I can remember correctly, people were biased towards
0: women. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure I had that right. And so I think colloquially, this idea is pretty much accepted that women experience greater body image disturbance, and yeah. social cultural pressures, but I think it's also important to kind of outline some empirical evidence supporting this, right? Not that anecdotal evidence doesn't matter, but data is always helpful to substantiate that claim. Um, I know I don't know if you wanted to add something before I share the study, but
0: uh, no, I just I, I kind of found the same thing um, in some of the research that that I sent you as well. Actually, like there's one excerpt that I that I pulled from uh, one of the papers, and I'll just kind of read that here. It says. Yeah. Uh, men more than women choose mates based on physical attractiveness, whereas women more than men choose mates based on social status. In addition, uh, individuals who greatly valued social status or physical attractiveness on paper valued those traits more in their actual choices. Um, in particular, mate choice was uh, mate choices were sex differentiated when considering long-term relationships, but not short-term ones, where both sexes shun partners with low physical attractiveness. The findings validate a large body, the mate preferences uh, research based on an evolutionary perspective on mating. And they have implications for research using speed dating and other interactive contexts. So one of the things that I found interesting about that was that like, and and this is kind of like supported by some of the other stuff that I read as well as in this one paper um, was kind of like what you said, males tend to see themselves much higher than they probably actually are. Or maybe it's not much higher, but they don't see themselves less. Maybe that's a more accurate way of putting it, you know, because like, yeah. I know some, yeah, I don't, I don't want to make any sort of accusations, but I know so many people who are like, you know, physically attractive and they're like, oh, they see like one thing and they're like, oh, I'm terrible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so I, I think there, there might, and this is hundred percent just my opinion. I think that men probably do that a little bit less. Men probably don't have as high standards for their own bodies um, as women do. And then also when it comes to like one night stands, anecdotally you've seen tons of guys just be like, Oh yeah, I hooked up with this random chick. And I mean, I've heard that a bunch, especially in college or whatever. And, 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 uh, but then who they tend to like date long-term is a little bit different because it is a little bit more of like a status thing sometimes. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyways, that was just kind of an interesting point to, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying.
1: Yeah. That, that note on the long-term versus short-term relationships is so funny. Like I, I was reading some of the evolutionary perspectives on body image. And that came up a lot as like, there's always a difference between, you know, when you're looking at mating prospects, like, are we talking long-term or are we talking short-term? Because in short-term, um, dating or or mating or whatever you want to call it in that context, it seems that both sexes prioritize looks over anything else in that, in that case. And even, even women. But uh, yeah. So that's interesting. And yeah, men, I think anecdotally in my experience, at least tend to engage in less, maybe not positively talking about themselves, but like engage in less negative body talk. And actually it was funny today. I was at the, I was the gym early this morning and I was talking to a member and he was asking me about my, my research. And I was, I had done a, a seminar at the gym couple of weeks ago and, um, he had missed, it was on, it was on body image and he was asking like, Oh, you know, can you send me some of the content? Like I'm interested in it. And he was sharing with me that like, you know, over the course of his life and as a kid, even though he was like categorized as being overweight or obese, he never saw himself in like a negative light. He's like, I never saw myself in a bad way. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, (laughs) good for you. That's great. Um, he's like, but like, you know, do you see these differences like occurring between the sexes? And I'm like, it's funny. You should say that I'm going to have a discussion about that today, but, um, indeed we do. Um, and in fact, one, like men do tend to rate themselves as more attractive. And, and actually one study from my lab group had participants rate their perceived weight status. So the options were like not heavy enough, just right too heavy, uh, or like way too heavy. And they also measured objective measures of weight and BMI. And, um, they compared men and women's discrepancy between their subjective and objective measures. (laughs) And as you would expect, women were more likely than men to perceive themselves as too heavy, even when they were classified as normal. And men were more likely than women to perceive themselves as, as just right even when they were obese or overweight, so it's just like it's funny that that <laughs> kind of came up. But um, one
0: one interesting thing as well that that kind of piggybacks off of what you were saying earlier is the op, operate. I can't even talk
1: operationalization. Or <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's thank difficult. you for
0: saving me um, of what these definitions are because there's this sort of under underlying assumption that you know, if exposure is the same, we're going to have the same response to it. Whereas what you were saying earlier is even like internalizing things differently. And so it's like, if we are going to say, you know, men and weight are, are perceiving their, their body weight and body image differently, then why would we necessarily anticipate that they'd have the same response to certain things? And then we can get into that a little bit later, but I just think it goes to show exactly what you were saying, right? Like sort of a, a lack of continuity in terms of how males and females may respond to the same message And whether or not they're going to respond to different messages um, differently, I guess.
1: Yeah. And that's just one study, right? And it was looking at weight, which is... Yeah, I've seen that one, though. (laughs) Yeah. It was was
0: pretty unsurprising.
1: (laughs) It was looking at weight. And it's important to note because women and girls are disproportionately concerned with being heavy and being overweight or having certain levels of body fatness more than men. So that's, it's only one facet of body image, right? Like if we had asked them about muscle, it could have been different, right? And, and like, as we'll get into some of the evolutionary perspectives, men typically, you know, want to appear larger or taller, or more athletic. So like being too heavy might've been like a good thing for them or like, you know, having a high BMI might, might be a good thing for them, right? Versus for women, if they, if they perceive themselves as being too heavy, that's not ideal for, for their personal standard?
0: Yeah, actually there, there was one paper that I looked at, um, that found, so they, they kind of had like a little bit of an interesting study. So they had men and women, um, evaluating different physiques, right. And then what they did was they took those same physiques and then followed up with them several weeks later and, uh, showed them the same physiques, but then put their face on oh, overlapping with the bodies, and what they found was that, like, um, I'll just read read what I what I pulled from it. Um, it's the one it was, you
1: sent me, right? Is it the yes, one? That you, I sent, yeah, I, yeah, yeah.
0: I sent you all of these. Yeah. So it's like results indicate that men devalue non-ideal bodies and upvalue ideal bodies when they are self-related, and that was kind of where you know they had their face overlapping. Whereas women. Uh, Women more rate in a fair-minded manner, regardless of the circumstances. Thus, in contrast to women, an advantage for men may be that they are able to self-enhance in the case of uh, desirable bodies. This ability to self-enhance regarding desirable features might be beneficial for men's self-worth and body satisfaction, which, at least for me, seems pretty consistent with, I wouldn't say my experience, but just sort of like, like, it, it... i'll be honest like at least in my circles and so obviously i'm very biased like i'm a powerlifter all my friends are powerlifters you know or bodybuilders so like obviously it's a very specific demographic but that's never really been a thing that's come up a lot you know like everyone's like oh i want to get more jacked i want to get stronger i want to get leaner or whatever but it's never been like a point of this is something that i'm really insecure about you know what i mean um so i don't know it seems to to kind of tie in with, with my experience, but again, that's full on bias on, on my part. So.
1: Yeah. And again, different subcultures are going to have different standards. Like if you're in a powerlifting subculture or like a fitness subculture, you're going to probably place more of an emphasis on body size than the average person is going to. So you might have a bit more protection from these like standards of, certain body stand body sizes. But it's funny, like I read that, 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 uh, study you sent me with, with the men having that like protective element. And it's, it's actually one of the facets of positive body image is having like a protective filter, right. Being able to like filter out information in a way that kind of protects the way you view your body. So it's funny because that like, it kind of showed that men have this protective filter and that could be Something that is protecting them from these idealized standards and why they're not necessarily internalizing them to the same degree as women.
0: Yeah, I wonder why that is. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, because even actually there is, let's see. Okay, just, one of the things I guess that I wanted to, to touch on was also the differences in terms of like mate selection, but more so, more so talking about like the standards, right? Because um, I, I would think, and you know, maybe other people disagree and that's fine, but I guess my perspective is that women do uh, probably experience more pressure to look a certain way than, than men do. Um, I think it's probably more acceptable for men to have like you know, the quote unquote dad bod, than it would be for a woman to have whatever counterpart that that would be you know or whatever their version of that might be um Ad think, are seen
1: as sexy too in some some circles
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right so it really just depends on <laughs> We're talking here I've yeah I've literally seen like I've shown uh, do you know who Simeon Panda is no He's like this insanely jacked and shredded bodybuilder. He's quote unquote natural, very clearly not natural, but uh, he claims lifetime natural, which is total bullshit. But he's like he's like two thirty, like six percent body fat year round, just absolutely perfect genetics for physique athlete, right? Right and um i remember showing a picture of, of him to, to some chick and they're like oh he's so muscular and gross like i would never date that and i was like oh my god like i would date this guy like you <laughs> <have to know? laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah yeah and so it definitely depends on what circle you're in but um i guess kind of getting back to uh getting back to like how different standards might be applied to, mm-hmm. to men and women. One of the things that I found is really interesting in this conversation is there's, like I mentioned earlier, an underlying assumption that men and women, one are subject to the same standards and, and two will respond the same to the same standards. You know what I mean? Which I, I really have a problem with that because it's like, there's so many differences between men and women. There's so many differences between different age demographics. There's so many differences between, you know, little subsets. Oh, yeah within males or females within the same age bracket so it's just like the assumption that things would be equally that people would be affected equally across the spectrum just seems really intellectually dishonest to me Mm -hmm. right and so like one of the papers that i found as well was looking at uh determinants of of um attraction right between males and females and so um I'll, i'll There's one excerpt that I found where it says estimates of physical strength determine and estimates is is a key word. Estimates of physical strength determined over 70% of males' bodily attractiveness to females. Additional analysis showed that tallness and leanness were also favored and along with estimates of strength accounted for 80% of men's bodily attractiveness. Contrary to uh, popular theories of men's physical attractiveness, there was no evidence of a non-linear effect. The strongest men were the most attractive in all samples. And one, one of the interesting things that I found about that was, again, from evolutionary psychology where it's females are, are typically selected based on, you know, uh, physical attractiveness, uh, hip to waist ratio and different like symmetry and different features of, of like um, of features of health, whereas mm-hmm. males were selected based more so on social status. Right. So, you know, uh, how much money a guy makes. Uh, what their social standing is in, in you know their their group or whatever, and then also just perceived dominance. And I think in one of the papers that I read, it was looking at formid formidability uh, specifically. And so those are all kind of dominant characteristics within like um, within a social setting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if if you look at like what, what are the stereotypes, right? It's like women go for men who have a lot of money, women go for men who have high power, women go for the, and it's like, whether or not that's true, it's a stereotype, because there's some element of, you know what I mean, truth to it. Now, I wouldn't say that women go for men because of money or status or this or that. But I would say that that is a relevant factor in mate selection, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite is also true, where it's like, men do appear to self select, um, sorry, to to select for, uh, you know, certain features of beauty or symmetry or whatever it is that you want to call. And so the reason why I found that interesting anyways was not necessarily to be like, oh, this is right, this is wrong, whatever, whatever. It's just to kind of highlight how men and women have different categorizing processes where they're like, this is what I value versus this is what I value. And again, I think it's really important to kind of remind everyone that we're talking about what's observed on averages, not necessarily right. represented.
1: heterosexual males and females too. Yeah. 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 yeah
0: yeah actually that's not something I've looked into do you know if there's any sort of difference between um maybe how like uh,
1: uh gay I, man you know, and a oh, straight word? man yes yeah, yeah. So interestingly there's not that much difference like from the little that I've read on it again I'm not a gender studies expert I don't like this is not my area of expertise by any means but like what the the stuff that I did come across because I was reading a a recent paper when we had like decided we were going to do this, um, this podcast, I needed to like brush up on some of the evolutionary perspectives in body image. And one of the, um, one of the papers was, was looking at all of these prospective factors that we just haven't really considered in a lot of the social, cultural and psychological studies on body image. And of course, all of the studies they cited were like mainly in heterosexual, males and females. So they, they have this like one paragraph kind of outlining some of the, the research in conducted in like homosexual males and females. And interestingly, <laughs> um, straight women and, and, and lesbian women don't really differ much with how they, how they tend to select for traits. Like they, lesbian women do also tend to prioritize more internal factors, like internal characteristics over like appearance. And gay men don't really differ much from straight men on average, where they actually do prioritize appearance to the same degree or to a similar degree. So it's interesting that even in like homosexual mating patterns, we see these, these differences come up. These intra sexual similarities are are still kind of held on average. Of course, this is going to (laughs) be not saying every person who, um, you know, who engages or who, you know, who has a, um, every homosexual man is going to, going to prioritize appearance the same way that a, that a straight man would, but it's um, it's, I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, that, that is pretty interesting. And one of the things that I will say actually that um, I guess to some degree kind of counters what, uh, what I was saying earlier about like, differences between male female mate selection was one one paper I found was looking at um adolescents or, or and, and youths um and they were looking at whether like social status as well as you know beauty and or I guess I, I'm using beauty but they they used attractiveness and they had a specific criteria for that but um you know, how much of, of uh, attraction was due to their physical attractiveness versus social status. And in adolescent boys and girls, social status didn't seem to be strongly affected, um, affect dating desire during that particular age period. I can't remember exactly what the age period was. I think it was somewhere between like 12 and 17, but don't quote me on that.
1: I think it was high school-ish.
0: Yeah, something like that. But I found that pretty interesting because then it's like, oh, it will. Is is that is that purely socially constructed then? Or is it just a matter of an individual's intrinsic values might develop and change as they get older because their priorities shift or, you know what I mean? I don't necessarily know how to interpret that, but I, I just think it's kind of an interesting counterpoint to, to what I was saying yeah. earlier. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not sure if you have any, but.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that as well. Um, actually, I made note of that here because like I thought it was... So really interesting that that other study you shared that 80% of the variance in male body attractiveness was explained by weight height and ratings of perceived ratings of strength. That's like, that's a lot of variance, right? Um, But before we get into the other one, I thought it was weird that there wasn't a curvilinear relationship between perceived strength or muscular muscularity or size and attractiveness. Like, they they expected there to be kind of like a U shape where there would be like this optimal strength musculature and then it would start to kind of dwindle, kind of like what you said about the um, the physique strength athlete dude who you were showing your friends and they were like, ah, no, that's yeah, not my thing. yeah. Um, I would expect that, right? Like if someone it reaches like a certain level of of musculature or, or like strength, it might only be attractive in certain circles. But I'd be interested to see like what was their ceiling there. Like what what was their strongest man photo that they were showing to these women?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point too. <laughs> Especially because like, so I'm I'm 275. And at my gym, that's not very big. Like, the, basically, that's, like, pretty average. Somewhere between 240 <laughs> and 280 is pretty standard. Well,
1: so that's going to change how you see yourself compared yeah. to the
0: average guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, because, like, we're, we're always making fun of, like, one of, uh, one of my buddies, Adam. Shout out, Adam. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, like, 245 and everyone calls him, like, the little baby. Cause he's like, this is tiny little, like he's a big Jack dude, but we all just kind of make fun of him. And, and so it's definitely really like, that's a really great point. Actually. I would be interested to see that just from like an objective standard of, of how actually like big muscular and strong they are. Yeah.
1: Cause I would imagine that once we start getting into like the very fringe, you know, like small fraction of the population is going to look this way. I would assume that a lot of women might not deem that as attractive right off the bat because it's just outside of their scope of what what they consider to be normal right so it's that i thought that was interesting that there wasn't any like curvilinear relationship um but the adolescence one i think you know the reason we didn't see social status come up as a predictor there is because well i mean when you're 15 16 years old are you really concerned about your boyfriend how much money they're making, if if they're making any at all. Like I can't remember giving a crap about that stuff when I was in high school, at least. But um, like you said, I think that our priorities start to shift as we age and we start to look for prospective mates long-term. And if we're thinking about starting a family, then we might be looking at certain factors, right? Um, but one thing to, to that I thought was interesting there is that studies that looking even in industrialized westernized societies where women tend to be providing for themselves you know most of the time they still do report social status and income as an important factor when they're when they're choosing their their mate and which I thought was interesting and and like their income doesn't seem to affect the strength of that relationship so like you could be making a lot of money as a woman and still care about what your prospective partner is going to make, right? So that's weird, but interesting nonetheless. Like it's like almost like a woman doesn't want to be with a man who isn't at least at the same level <laughs> or maybe above in terms of the income that they're making on average.
0: Um, yeah, I could definitely see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that kind of ties into what we were talking about, but I thought that was kind of cool or kind of interesting at least. Um, And yeah, men do tend to favor physical appearance or or good looks more than women do. And not that women don't care about their mate's appearance or that men don't care about their mate's potential. I, I also would be interested to see what that looks like across cultures. Like, I would imagine that men in more industrialized, westernized societies would care a little bit more about social status and earning potential for their potential mates than maybe men in other cultures. But I didn't, I didn't read anything about that. But I thought that would be kind of uh, neat to look at. Like, is there, you know, if, if men here are making a certain amount and they know that women have the ability to make a certain amount, are they going to care more about potential to earn than a man in a culture where women don't really have the same potential to earn? So I don't know. That's not something that I looked at, but thought it would be an, an interesting point.
0: That would be something interesting. Cause like anecdotally, I know a lot of, a lot of people and like, I, I would probably say I even fall under this category as well, where it's like, I do feel like the guy has a responsibility to like provide and take care of his, of his girlfriend or wife, whatever. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, you're going to be a wife and nothing else or anything like that. I just mean that it's like, you know, You've got to be financially secure and stable, and you've got to be able to make sure you can take care of her and the family, whatever, if she decides to leave her job. And if she doesn't, that's fantastic, but kind of have to do that anyways. And that's that's obviously like a very old school type of mentality, which is whatever it is. But um I certainly know that like if a woman was making more like if not if a woman, I know that I've talked to people who have been like, who, who their girlfriend is like in a higher position than them or something like that. And they, they do feel, I don't know if it's insecure. I don't know if that's the right word, but let's just say like, maybe it is insecure. I don't know. Maybe it's like an extra motivation to be like, kind of make more money. You know what I mean? Maybe it isn't secure. I, I have no idea. I've definitely heard that before. And I've also heard that from women too. And so I would be really interested to see how that affects men you know what I mean? Because I've definitely noticed attitudes change, where it's like, oh, your girlfriend makes more than you, and it's kind of like, like between in like male circles, it's definitely something that you might make fun of them for, you right. know? I mean? And it has nothing to do with like your girlfriend's success. It's just like, oh, you know, it's just that competitive edge, I guess. Yeah. You're just teasing. You're like, oh, why are they making more than you? And yeah, I don't know. That's something that I think is kind of like interesting because I know a lot of I've heard women, anyways, say men get insecure about that and. I think to some degree, that's probably true, you know? Yeah. And then, and then I also wonder how much of that is also just that competitive side, but mm. I don't know. I don't really have a point or like a, here's what I think about it. I just think yeah. it's kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I, I've, I've seen that happen, like where I, you know, I've known men who make less than their partners uh, or their female partners, and they, uh, they've been poked at about that for fun, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it's certainly not something you would see in the, the reverse direction, right? Like, I don't think you would make fun of a woman if she makes less than her husband, but there's something about that, that reverse that seems to be kind of like, you know, it sticks out to you a bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which is, I don't know, which is also, again, kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier, or I guess what I was saying earlier, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, just about like the apples to oranges comparison. I feel like a lot of the comparisons that go where, where it's like, it's a double standard. It's like, well, it's not the same thing that we're really comparing, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about marketing and this is obvious kind of maybe going a little bit outside of, of what, what you studied. Maybe it's not, I'm not sure. But I, one thing that I'm curious about is, Marketing that's specifically directed at at women, um, and whether or not it's, whether or not it it specifically is like I guess you can't really necessarily derive causality or saying that it's it's necessarily intended to lower women's self esteem, but I know that I have seen research, just economic research or whatever, in the past showing that like depending on your emotional state, you're more likely to make certain purchases. And so if there is potentially or if you've seen any sort of research that has looked at certain marketing strategies that are intended to maybe negatively impact someone's self-esteem or self-image or whatever in order to get them to, let's say, purchase a product. I mean, in the fitness industry, that's certainly pretty prevalent. So, yeah, I was wondering if you've, if, if you're, if you've heard or seen anything like that.
1: Yeah, I, not in research related, no, not off the top of my head. I'm sure there's tons, but um, yeah, I was going to just say the you know, lo- let's look towards our industry. It's for some examples there. I mean, most of the time it's starting to get, I think it's starting, people are starting to be a little bit more sensitive about the messaging that they're putting out. But I think, you know, more historically, it has been here's what you should look like and I can help you do it. Right. So it's almost like, let's make you feel bad about the way you look now so that I can sell you on the, uh, the cure or the, um, the step-by-step process to how to get to this point. So I think, you know, using these self-conscious emotion, capitalizing on self-conscious emotions, like shame and guilt and embarrassment or envy can be, is like the name of the game when it comes to like marketing fitness or, or image related. Um, and I don't know too much about like clothing and stuff, but I, you know, I can certainly speak to nutrition and, and exercise programs that that is something that is certainly pervasive. And I'm sure that you can attest to that as well. Um, now I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, Hey, here's my, here's what I've done. Here's my work. And if you're interested in like, you know, pursuing this, I can help you do that. But like, if the messaging is like really derogatory towards the person reading it, like, oh, I've seen people like, oh, you're sitting on your couch and it's 12 AM and you're just binge eating chips and, you know, you hate yourself and you need to snap out of it. And I'm like, that is like really, really dark messaging that you're putting out there to sell your coaching. Um And I think we can do better than that, but I, uh, yeah, I think that's what I have to say, but I don't have any research per se, but I think that the, that certainly we do capitalize on, on these self-conscious emotions, like shame and guilt and envy and embarrassment to, uh, to sell a certain image in, in the fitness industry.
0: Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And I mean, I think that the tough thing is that it works. It works so damn well, um, at least in the short term. Now, whether or not it's going to be a good long-term strategy, I'm, I'm a lot more skeptical about that. But even I remember when I first became a personal trainer and I was working at a gym called World Health, um, they would teach you to, like, this is part of your, your like initial intake process was you would take them out for, you know, quote unquote, movement assessment. And you would literally just pick every single thing that you could find that would be wrong with them. In order to like highlight all of the things that are wrong with them so that they actually feel bad about themselves and like oh yeah I really need to change and it's like they they called it like this this is developing that connection and just getting down to the you know root thing when in reality it was just it was literally just making someone feel really shitty about themselves and not liking it and then yeah exactly like you were saying just being like hey I've got a solution Meanwhile, I'm the the cause at the same time, you know, so it's kind of like, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword in fitness for sure, where there's so much sleazy marketing, um, around body images and stuff like that. And there's been a lot of pushback with the, with the body positivity movement, which in general, I think is really good at times. I think it kind of gets hijacked and the message gets a little bit, um, obfuscated at times, but in general, I think that it's a really positive movement where it's like, you know people are pushing back and being like hey you know what i can look this way and feel confident feel happy and all this stuff and i think i think that's generally pretty awesome i also think that that's very much sorry my phone is just blowing up right now <laughs> yeah. i was like i don't know if that's
1: mine or
0: your. no sorry i i have it on i have this app on my um computer and on my phone it's like an internal discussion board for for work and so it's just like going off like crazy right now yeah um But I also think that, yeah, women are probably also a lot more the ones who are pushing back in terms of body positivity. I haven't really heard too many men who are like major advocates for it. Like I know there's a lot of men in support of it, but I think the driving force is more because of driven by women, in in my opinion, anyways. And so I think it's definitely a really positive thing. And I also have noticed for sure, kind of like what you were saying, where the messaging of, of ads, how people are kind of displaying before and after photos, how they're conveying results, how they're talking about body image and things like that have, have changed quite a bit. And I think that's probably a pretty productive thing as well. Um, one thing, and this is this is maybe a little bit sort of fringe, um, and I, I'm really curious about this. Um, you know how if you, like, if you have maybe like an obsessive nature and and you are prone to things like rumination and you just sort of like think about let's say this negative experience you had and you just kind of continue to obsess over it over and over and over and over, it can legit like make you depressed. It can change your physiology. Like there's an actual observable change in your physiology. And I'm wondering if a similar kind of thing happens where it, it almost like creates its own pathology if you Engage with social media in a certain way, and I want to be really careful about how I'm saying this because it's it's not an indictment, it's not an accusation. It's literally just I don't know, and I'm really curious. But like, let's say for instance, like uh, someone with an OnlyFans, you know what I mean, or someone with a page that's predominantly um, showing photos of them um, looking like maybe in bikinis or revealing or whatever, and you know. If you get a lot of positive feedback for that, and then let's say your account gets shut down, I'm just wondering, would someone who has a very strong intrinsic sense of like self-confidence, would that maybe shift or could it shift to an intrinsic sense of of self-worth that becomes reliant on, on like external factors? Or or is that just something I'm making up? It's just a, literally something I don't know about. And I, mm-hmm. I'm curious to get your perspective on it. Does that sort of make sense?
1: Yeah, I think it's, like, that question you asked, like, is the, the risk of posting revealing content on social media, could that incite, like, a, a drive for external validation or...
0: Yeah, yeah. and particularly in someone who, because I would assume that there's, like, someone who is already at risk, that probably is an issue, mm-hmm. but for someone who's pretty self-assured, pretty self-secure, I would, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, would that actually, or could that, have that negative impact and see that kind of shift to more external yeah. requirements.
1: I've always been curious about this. Like I was just a few weeks ago asking my partner, like, you know, I really want to get to know some of like the women or people who engage in like, um, um, and like OnlyFans and like have these sorts of social media profiles because I think it's really almost fascinating. I'm like, I really want to know how do you see yourself like from a body image perception and, and from like a, you know, self-esteem and and just overall like personal or self-evaluation? And is there like certain personality difference or certain personality traits that are more protective over whether or not you're affected by, you know, engaging this sort of behavior? And I haven't read anything that's examined this this directly, but it would be interesting to see. And um but I think it really depends on what degree that the person is deriving their self-worth from their appearance in the first place. Right. So like if you can imagine, imagine like your personal identity or your self-worth in like a pie chart form and like, what is, you know, what is kind of taking up space in that pie chart. Right. Like, and how much of that is allotted to your appearance. Cause for some people, their appearance might be taking up a lot of, how they, how they uh, appraise their, their own self. So if that's the case, then posting certain photos of yourself and then receiving external validation for it could be problematic for your mental health because the moment that you don't get external validation or if something happens in your social media gets, you know, hacked or whatever, you're kind of losing a lot of your mojo for lack of a better term there. It's like, if you have nothing, if you're not investing in other areas of your identity and other areas of your, um, your self-worth, and if most of it is kind of being consumed by, you know, how other people view you and your appearance, then I could see how that might be a risk factor for whether or not you experience um, mental health concerns related to you know the photos that you choose to to post, right? I'm kind of imagining like the difference between someone whose social media is predominantly photos of themselves, and maybe they have like some monetary um, there's you know monetary factor there. Maybe they're making money off of certain things related to their appearance, versus someone who just posting like a picture of themselves on the beach in a bikini with their friends. Like there might be a bit of a difference between maybe they'll get some positive. Reinforcement for it, but it might not be internalized to the same degree as the person who is literally making a living off of this. uh, And of course, these are two extremes, but people kind of fall in the middle as well. I can remember my my early experiences with social media. I was 15 when I got Instagram because it came out around that time. So that's like that is peak time for like body image issues for a young girl. And I was very invested in my appearance at the time and getting a lot of you know, um, you know, a lot of feedback from people in my circle in high school and stuff, because it was just that time of of your life. So having Instagram was just like it was a disease at first. It was, it was terrible for my um for my self perception. I remember like just I remember my first reaction was like, Holy crap, there are so many beautiful women in the world. Like I couldn't, because at the time before you were just in like on Facebook. Right. I'm I'm going off on a tangent now, but whatever. You were on Facebook and the people that you were interacting with were really only your friends and family members. Right. So there was like only a certain few people that you could really compare, like socially compare yourself to. Instagram opened the floodgates to like global comparison. Right. And I think that's where we started to see the influence of social media on body image really take off, is when everything kind of went global. And because I remember like, holy cow all these women are so pretty. Like I could never live up to this. And at this time I was like really invested in my appearance. And I had accumulated like six, 7,000 followers in a few months. And I remember my boyfriend at the time was like, why do you need to have all these followers liking your photos and posting photos of yourself? And I was like, yeah, you know what, you're kind of right. And I ended up deleting my Instagram because I knew it wasn't good for me. And then I, I created a new one a few months later, but Like, I remember that early experience with social media and it being so having such a terrible impact on the way I saw myself. But at the same time, like I can have a thousand, fifteen hundred followers now and not have that issue because I'm not invested in my appearance to the same degree. Right. So I feel like it really depends on how much your appearance is, is. How much do you? How much value do you place on the way you look and the way that people view you? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and it it almost seems like it's similar to, you know, when when people talk about diets, um, you know, leading to to eating disorders, when when in reality it's a little bit more. It's probably a little bit more accurate to say, people who have a predisposition or a propensity to display disordered eating type behavior will self-select into these extreme diets you know what I mean where, where it's like you know for instance your experience was that it was pretty bad and it really had an negative impact on you and you're like oh man you know but then it's kind of like now you're caught in the cycle you know and oh but I got 7,000 followers what if I lose my 7,000 followers and it sounds so stupid to say out loud but that is a very real thing like 150 percent um and yeah, and then, for instance, like you said, if, if you're making money off it, if you have a business, if you're sponsored by supplements, or if you're a sponsored athlete for some something else, or if you have an OnlyFans or whatever, um, it, it is really interesting. Because even like...
1: And that was before any of that. Like, this was like early Instagram yeah, days. Where yeah, it was yeah, like, you yeah. couldn't even message people. It was just photos of, your, of yourself. And I remember there was like a group of, of girls that I was connected with, and we would post photos of each other and kind of share and be like follow for follow and it would just be like a group of these like pretty girls sharing each other's photo it was such a oh when I think back to it and we're all these like 15 16 17 it's gross that we were like not on our on our end but the fact that we had all these like you know male followers and stuff it just kind of
0: just a bunch (laughs) of old dudes (laughs)
1: not a bunch of old dudes I, I shouldn't say all old dudes like but the fact that that was kind of and we were getting positive reinforcement for the way that we looked and posting photos. And I, you know, I wasn't posting nudes or anything, but just like posting selfies, like a 15, year old, 16 year old girl typically did at the time. And, um, but I was at the time, I don't know what it was, but wise enough to kind of say, yeah, this is not good for me. I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> and I'm glad that I did.
0: Yeah. One thing that I honestly find super interesting is just like, the pressure because I think it's really easy for anyone to look at someone and kind of make judgments. But not having been in that situation, I think is like, I don't know, like what, you know, like I can't even imagine having a TikTok with 10 million people following me because I do these little dances. Like, well, what I'm just picturing
1: that- you doing little dances.
0: Yeah. 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 I would not be very graceful for sure. But, and that's why, that's why I don't have it. Right. But um, yeah, that's the only reason why I don't have 10 million followers. No, but uh, like, I just wonder what kind of pressure that would have on you. You know what I mean? Like it must be pretty significant and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause it, it's easy for me or anyone, I guess, to kind of sit here and, you know, make, Make assumptions about a, an individual's motives or their drive or whatever. I remember, though, I met someone who did have an OnlyFans, and uh, they're they're an acquaintance. And I remember I was just really curious, and I was talking to them about it, and I was like, "What got you into it?" And you know, they were like just kind of sharing. I'm not obviously don't want to share anything very specific or anything like that, but they just said that someone had like asked them to to uh, they they some, what was it someone asked if they could buy a photo of their feet or something like that and and she was like yeah okay sure I don't care like that's weird but I made 500 bucks and I was like oh okay that's that's weird but yeah sure why not I guess I don't know and and then it like it just kind of slowly progressed from there and then it turned into an OnlyFans and then the OnlyFans turned into more sexual content and yeah, it, it was just really interesting hearing like the evolution of, of her story and kind of how it went. And to me, it sort of made sense. I was like, oh, okay, I can see that. Whereas sometimes, if you don't really talk about it, for me, anyways, bridging that gap is very difficult, you know? Um, yeah. Because I, I obviously don't really have any experience in that i mean i don't think people are really going to line up to Really, (laughs) they would ask for their money there
1: there is a niche market for (laughs) almost anything out there so i wouldn't be so uh, so sure but i think um yeah no i have the same thought process around that as like how do we get to that point it's like not in a judgmental way either i'm just genuinely curious like At what point, what's the tipping point, right? Like where do we get to the point where we kind of, you know, and I guess this is very tangential to the topic, but kind of related in a way, because I'm sure that women or men who engage in this, this, um, practice are probably viewing themselves in a certain way. That's a bit different than the way that we might view ourselves. But yeah, that's. Uh, I'm sure there. I'm sure there is some research out there looking at um, looking at this. I haven't come across it yet.
0: Yeah, I, it it definitely is an interesting thing because like all of this is such a new phenomena and like how rapidly it's occurred and all the changes occurred. It's like it's like all this stuff happens and we're like, oh my god, everything's going crazy. And then it's not until later that we're like, oh yeah, it's probably has something to do with this, you know? Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely pretty interesting. Um, Let's see. One of the things that I guess we haven't talked a ton about, we've talked about some of the differences, but I think that it has been a little bit more centered around uh, the conversation has been a little bit more centered around women just because, I mean, like, tend to think, like we said earlier, that they're the ones who are probably a little bit more affected by uh, body image issues and things like that. But I guess I just kind of wanted to touch on men as well. Um, I have seen some research that men don't necessarily have the same issues in the sense of like body dysmorphia, but then if we look at muscle dysmorphia, men seem -hmm. to be a little bit more affected. So anyone who doesn't know what muscle dysmorphia is or body dysmorphia, there's like this sort of disconnect between how you look and how you perceive yourself uh to to be in your your level of um
1: muscularity muscular development
0: yeah I guess I'm looking for the word like not appreciation um I guess self-efficacy I guess relative to to your appearance Mm -hmm. um and men seem to be a little bit more affected by that versus Mm -hmm. you know the other
1: hate related influences
0: yeah yeah um what sort of impact do you suspect that um I guess, body image issues have on, on men in that regard? Like, is, yeah. is that a little bit yeah. more niche maybe?
1: Yeah, no. And it's, it's understudied and like relative, like a lot of the research is done in women and it's starting to the, the, the literature on men and is starting to buff up a little bit more. My personal research interest is on women. So a lot of the, the stuff that I read is on women admittedly, but I did want to kind of share one of the studies that, um, that looks at the difference between s- s- differences in social, cultural in like perceived social cultural influences and perceive like internalization of these standards and like the differences across the genders, um, and other, other moderators as well. So in this study, this was a large study published in recently, actually in 2020 in the flagship journal body image, um, by Rachel Rogers and colleagues. It was a large group of of researchers actually from across the globe. And they sampled uh, over 6,000 emerging adults is what we call them from ages 18 to 30. We have our own category, the young adults, emerging adults from a handful of countries. Uh, It was like Canada, the United States, Australia, Japan, China, Italy, Spain, and Belgium. And they measured both the perceived social cultural influences on body image. So how much pressure do you perceive is coming from your peers, from your family, from the media in relation to your body pressures, um, to change your body as well as the internalization of both the thin and the muscular ideal, right? So the thin ideal being like low body fat, small body size and muscular ideal, having like developed muscles looking athletic, um, right. So and they they use two different questionnaires to measure both of these so the one that measures like perceived social cultural influences will ask you things like or like my mom encourages me to lose weight or my father teases me about not having enough muscle or my friends um encourage me to diet to lose weight or keep from gaining weight right so like what are the pressures that you're experiencing in regards to your body and then the other one is tapping into like, to what degree are you internalizing these pressures? So there might be items like, I want my body to look very thin, which would be trying to tap into like the thin internalization. Um, or I spend a lot of time trying to make my body appear more athletic or muscular, which would be trying to tap into like the muscular athletic subscale. And the results were, were pretty much in line with what you expect, right? Right. One thing that's interesting and I haven't talked about is that older people, so age is protective of body image. Generally speaking, as we age, we start to have to have to receive lower messages from our environment or maybe just not perceive them to the same degree. So in this study, the older individuals and by older, I mean, 30 is the highest age. So it's not like older adults, but older individuals tend to receive lower messages from their um from their parents and their, their friends to, to lose or gain weight or muscle and um, fewer messages from the media as well. But when we looked at the gender differences, women compared to men tend to receive more messages from their fathers, mothers, uh, peers, and media to lose weight whereas um, and, and fewer messages to gain weight or muscle, right? So there's a bias there for women Women are encouraged to lose weight and not encouraged to gain muscle or uh, or or body weight in general. And the same was found for people with higher BMI versus lower BMI. And men on the other side endorse the muscular ideal, right? More often than women, and 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 women were more likely to endorse the thin ideal. So we do see this come out pretty strongly. And one thing also that was interesting was that people who people with higher socioeconomic status were at like compared to those with lower socioeconomic status tended to present higher levels of muscular and athletic internalization, which I know that you had Dr. Lisa Lewis on, and she was talking about luxury problems. It's almost like, Caring about your muscularity and your athleticism is like a luxury problem (laughs) to a certain degree. Like you're not going to be worried about that stuff if you can't pay rent, can't make rent. But if you, you know, if you have all your needs met, then it might be something else to consider. So I thought that was interesting, but it kind of showcases these discrepancies between genders in terms of like what messages are they receiving from their peers, from their family, from the media in terms of body, you know, losing weight, gaining weight and muscle. And to what extent are they internalizing these messages? So men are more readily internalizing the muscular and athletic ideal than women are. And this is reflected in the higher rates of muscle dysmorphia that we see in men as well.
0: So one of the things that, um, I guess I think would be maybe pertinent to talk about as well is like, what do people do with this information? So for instance, like, um, you know, obviously you're not going to, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say obviously because some people legitimately do it. I would never go onto someone's, you know, page and be like, Oh, you're so muscular. Like some, some girl or whatever, like, Oh, you need to lose 20 pounds. It's like, I don't have that desire to do that. It's like, you do whatever you want to do. Um, but, but then I think when it comes to things that are well-intentioned, I think that's the tricky thing, right? Because I've seen people say, You know, if a woman loses weight, you know, don't ask them if they've lost weight or maybe don't compliment them because then it could potentially get them to associate a large percentage of their value or maybe inflate their value, uh, that's derived from their physical appearance. And I personally feel a little bit of like pushback on that, but, um, I think that it is something that probably does need to be discussed, right? Like, how do we kind of, like, what do we actually do with all this information in terms of, like, interaction? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think that's what a lot of, and one of part of the reasons why, what I kind of discovered when I was reading some of the evolutionary perspectives, part of the reason why we don't really talk about biological and evolutionary origins of appearance ideals and, and this and that in more of the social, cultural, psychological, and behavioral studies is because a lot of these, well, first of all, a lot of these researchers are not evolutionary biologists, so it's outside of their scope. But I think second is that the evolutionary and biological um, origins are more like ultimate causes, right? Like they're like these overarching, like, why do we see these differences between men and women, but they're not really conscious or like a lot of them, like, you know, you're not engaging this behavior thinking, yeah, I'm trying to increase my, (laughs) my mate. I don't know. I don't know all the terms in evolutionary biology, but like, you're not like, objectively trying to doing
0: bicep curls because like this is totally going to get me a new wife and kids
1: this is going to increase my (laughs) fitness my evolutionary like yeah that's not that's not it right maybe to some degree but not objectively or consciously at least so they're they're what we call like ultimate causes they're not like super proximate to the problem these proximate issues like social media use and like the way the media presents certain images of men and women are something that's a little bit more tangible and in our control. And we can kind of like moderate to a certain degree. And that's starting to happen a little bit with like, you know, diversifying images and, and um in certain spaces and certain media outlets and, um, and kind of like being more mindful and more sensitive to like the messages that we put out about other people's bodies. And like you said, like, how do we go about talking about people's bodies and, and complimenting them? And that was a topic that came up in the seminar that I, I ran a couple of weeks ago and one of the uh, one of the members who came w- was like trying to really get to the bottom of this like what can I say and what can I not say And I'm like there's you know there's not really like a rule book to this. I don't think that we can like say these are like off limit compliments and these are the only things that you can say to somebody that's going to to be safe um, I think it really de- depends on, the relationship you have with that individual, right? If this is like a really close friend or partner or family member that you, you know, very well, and you want to give them a compliment that's related to their body. I would still like, you know, be mindful of their history. If you know that they have a history with like, you know, body image disturbance or eating disorders and maybe complimenting their body or their weight is probably not a good idea. But if you have a really close relationship with this person, then, you know, there might be, it might be okay. Like I, I, it really, you kind of have to use your discretion. I would say for most of the time, like if it's just like an acquaintance, I would like stray away from using compliments that are like directly related to the person's body, unless they're like inviting it. Like, Hey, I've been training with, you know, your friend, Mark and I think I'm seeing some differences in my body. Like, what do you think? Like, if they're asking for your opinion, right? Then I, I don't see why that would be an issue. I think it's when it's kind of like unsolicited <laughs> and kind of thrown out there, and and you you don't know for certain why that person has maybe lost weight or changed their physique. So it it really is context dependent. If you're in the gym and all these people you know are lifting and trying to gain muscle and trying to change their physique and you give them a compliment well that might be more warranted than if you're like in a shopping mall and you bump into somebody you haven't seen in years and then compliment their weight loss because you don't know why they lost weight. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense I think it's really yeah. context dependent
0: No that definitely does make sense especially because I mean even to piggyback on your point um, the the gym that I train at is a private club so it's basically all power lifters and strong men and strong women and um if you go up to a girl there who trains and you're like oh wow like did you lose weight they're going to be pissed they're like fuck you i'm jacked and like you know so it's the, it's the polar opposite where they they have like muscle dysmorphia type thing but that's cuz all the women are jacked there and uh, <laughs> and i think i think you kind of bring up a good point too where it's like you don't necessarily know why they've lost weight or why they have the physique they do, or, and, and then, I mean, even beyond that, you also don't know what a compliment might mean to them as well. So like, for instance, um, you might say like, I guess a great example. Okay. So in South America, like, um, one of my, one of my like close old, old friends, she's a Chilean. Right. And she'd be like, um, she, she'd like called me like gordo, which is like, you know fat right but it's like if you translate it you're like oh my god that's so mean but it's It's like chubby like
1: cute and chubby yeah Yeah. but it's
0: not mean at all it's like it's like literally a sign of love and affection and um uh so she would call me that when i was like way way back in the day and um even like my grandma she's like 98 99 right now you know what i mean i'm a big dude and like before when i was like 300 pounds she, she came, like, I went to visit her and she's like, Oh my God. Oh, I listened to that. And And she's like patting my belly and saying, no one's going to love me and stuff like that. But it's like, she does not mean it like that at all. It's literally just a cultural difference where it's like, and so for me, I I was just like, yeah, it's all good. But, um, but, Oh, what was the one thing that I was going to, the one thing too? Yeah. was that, um, I was going to say, it was like, if you're commenting on someone on social media, for instance, like you might not necessarily know what they're trying to accomplish. So like you might say, like, let's say you're commenting on, I don't know, like Steffi Cohen or something like that. She's very, you know, strong and athletic. She's got, you know, really great physique. Um, and she's done a lot to, to work and earn, and earn that. And so I think, you know, like, let's say you might look at that and say, oh man, you look super jacked, you know, like great job. Maybe she doesn't, like maybe her interpretation of jacked, and I guess I shouldn't have used a specific person. That's not necessarily my intention to put any words in anyone's mouth, but you you know what I'm trying to say, right? Like maybe her interpretation of jacked is different, you know? So you're trying to compliment, you're trying to say something really nice, but then maybe they kind of internalize it in a slightly different way. And I think that's where it gets a little bit complicated because, you know, you can never really know what someone's, what someone's background is. And it's like, Oh, then you just shouldn't say it. And then it's like, uh, but do we really want to censor society? And it's like, so yeah. it's kind of weird back and forth where I think I think your advice is is pretty sound where it's like, do you know the person? If not, maybe just don't say anything, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a flow chart. Yeah. Like, do I know this yeah. person?
0: Yeah, exactly. Don't say
1: anything about their body if you don't know them, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. do I how close are they to me? Like, you kind of go down the list and be like yeah. conscious of those those elements. And um, I think one of the one of the reasons a lot of people in that space kind of push back on compliments around the body is because it draws attention to the it makes the person self-conscious so even if it's complimentary even if it's complimentary like oh my god your abs oh like you're so jacked or whatever now that person is aware that you are like appraising their body. And of course we're all to a certain extent, like looking at people and like appraising them to a certain degree, but that person is now kind of under the microscope and in their, in their own mind, maybe. Right. And if they already have like preoccupations with the way they look, that can have an effect on, uh, on them, even if it's complimentary. Yeah. Right. And even if they take it as a compliment, it's like, Ooh, now someone's looking at me. Like (laughs) I didn't see that now of course, like you could argue that if someone is posting about it and like, you know, captioning like, oh, look at my before and after they're probably, and like, here's my story. They're probably kind of inviting feedback to a certain degree, unless they like turn off the comments or say, Hey, don't compliment my body. I would assume that like, if you're, you're kind of putting it out there, then you're being open to the possibility that someone's going to comment on like this, the subject of the, of the post. Yeah. But again, if it's just like a person and, you know, maybe you haven't seen them like this happened to me recently at the gym, or I hadn't seen someone in a long time and, and um, you know, they had lost uh, a significant amount of weight and I didn't want to say anything because I didn't know why, like, who knows they could have, I don't know them and they could have been sick. Like I'm not going to to compliment their weight loss but until I'm certain or say anything unless they ask me, right? Because it's just as a coach especially coaching group fit classes, I never want to draw attention to someone's body in the way that it looks because you do not know how that's going to affect them or the people around them because I'm I'm coaching Gen Pop, right? It's not these aren't elite athletes. They're not, you know, powerlifters and weightlifters. They're here to to get a good workout in and a lot of people might come with pre disposed tendencies to be like, you know, self-evaluative and they might already have these concerns. So drawing more attention to that is probably not helpful um, in most cases. So it's just being mindful of the context, I think, like using your discretion and um, you don't have to stray away from body-related compliments altogether, but just being aware of who is receiving that that comment and how it might uh, affect them.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you say that actually, because I did run into a friend this was, I think like last year or whatever. And they had gotten way, way leaner. They were really jacked powerlifter. Um, and, uh, super, super strong, very, very high level. I remember I ran into them, uh, you know, a year or whatever ago. And I was just like, Oh man, what's going on? We just were catching up, whatever. I was like, dude, you look like so lean, like, man, good for you. What happened? He's like, Oh, I have cancer. And I was like, Oh, you know what I mean? So like, we, we were quite good friends. So it, like, it was not an issue at all. But like, I could only imagine if I didn't know him that well, and said that and it was just like, Oh, yeah, because of chemo, just like, fuck my life, you know what I mean? So so that like, legitimately, when you when you said that, like, you don't know if they have health conditions. 100% I was like, yeah, I've experienced that for sure. So definitely a lot more cautious on anything a little
1: awkward. Seen. Yeah. That's and awkward. you know, cancer patients can have their own body image um, yeah. disturbances as well. And there's a whole literature yeah, the body of literature on that alone
0: well, so a it's a reminder of just like the whole experience it's like oh yeah well I lost all this weight because I can't eat because I'm throwing up all the time because I it's just like oh yeah yeah so yeah, that's yeah.
1: Awkward. I'm sorry them well yeah. um yeah so I think that's the best advice I could give anybody who's curious about you know how do I go about offering compliments and it's still going to happen I mean I'm I get it from older family members. And the first thing, you know, you're so tiny, like your figure, this and that, like, that's, that's just, part, and I don't take it, uh, take it to heart. I'm not going to like shut them down for, for commenting on my body or other people's bodies, unless it's like extremely derogatory, then I might say something, but I understand the cultural, um, you know, differences and, and the, and the generational differences as well. I think that our generation is starting to be a little bit more mindful of these things, but I was pissing myself on that story of your grandmother. Like I was listening to that pos- podcast you had with Gabriella Gulo and you were talking oh, about no, that yeah. story of your, of your grandmother, like body shaming you. And <laughs> I was like, well, thanks for listening to
0: the podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was, um, that was funny
0: but like, again, it's a
1: cultural
0: difference, right? Oh, totally. And even like, um, even there's obviously gonna be differences in relationships. Like, you know, I've said this before, because I think it's worth noting. It's like, could you imagine not complimenting your girlfriend on her appearance? Like she has this really amazing dress, dresses up super fancy, you know, for you. And she like, and then you're just like, okay, let's go, you know, just completely dismiss it, like the effort, the work and all that stuff. That's, in my opinion, that would not go down well. Like if I, if, if I took my girlfriend out on a date and then she was doing that and I just didn't say a thing, I'm sure that we'd probably run into some problems down the road if it was never something I commented on. So it's really like, it's really context dependent, like you were saying, but um, yeah. actually as a side note, because I was actually having this conversation in a bar with someone like several, several months ago before everything was locked down. And, and, you know, um, I remember we were talking about this and we are like, yeah, you know, and you shouldn't do this and this and this or whatever. And so we we're like, oh, okay, well, how are we supposed to, like, tell girls we're interested in them? And it's like, well, I don't know, just make up something. And so we literally started going around to girls in the bar and being like, damn, girl, I bet you pay all your credit card bills on time. And, like, just random stuff, just goofing around, obviously, right? Like, weren't trying to pick anyone up, but it was just, like, kind of a joke. And they were, like, good sports. They were actually found it hilarious because it would, it would just be like very motivational, you know, pumping up stuff. And yeah, it was just real stupid, but um, that was, I guess, neither here nor there. So uh, honestly, I feel like we kind of covered basically everything that I wanted to, to chat about super, super interesting conversation. Where can people uh, find you?
1: Thanks. Yeah. Um, So I don't have like a business profile or anything on, on Instagram. You're you know, feel free to follow me at Miriam Y. Murashi. It's more of a personal account, but I I do occasionally post some things about coaching and, uh, and research related things. Um, in terms of my academic work, I have a, an academic Twitter, like it's Twitter. We call it academic Twitter. It's just where you post like your, the stuff that you work on and, and some of the studies that might come out. So it's Mariam underscore Marashi. So anything that I, I am, any sort of projects that I'm working on or collaborating with others on will be posted up there. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to leave all that stuff in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go give her a follow, show some support. Um, Miriam, thank you so much for jumping on. It's, it's been awesome chatting with you and it was super, super insightful.
1: Thanks for having me, Daniel.